Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Strange Matters podcast. Here at Strange Matters, we discuss everything that is mysterious, bizarre, and unexplained. I am Sean, and I will be the host for this episode. For this episode, I will be presenting and discussing a number of legends and myths that all come from the various Native American cultures. So here at Strange Matters, we have covered a few topics from the Native mythology in the past, including the Wendigo creature of the North and the mysterious Skinwalkers. Of course, there are countless more fascinating legends coming from the Native American tribes, and in this episode I will be going over a few more fascinating and intriguing stories and folklore. This episode was suggested to Strange Matters by Desiree, one of our Tier 3 preferred patrons over on Patreon. On Patreon, our Tier 3 supporters can send us suggestions on what topics they want covered, and even get to design their own episodes. Each month, we then rotate between our preferred patrons for ideas and suggestions on what episode they would like to have produced. Right now, we just have one open spot left for a preferred patron, so if you'd like to donate to the podcast at that level, or even if you'd just like to pledge $1 a month, please visit our page at patreon.com strangematters. We would like to thank our other preferred patrons, Val, Jody, and Sean V. Over our recent hiatus, we've gained a number of new supporters over on Patreon, so I would also like to thank Fred, Jay, Sean C., Rachel, Gareth, Selena, Julie, Melissa, Aline, Kelsey, Anne, Zach, Sophia, and Kestrel. So again, huge thanks to everyone who supports Strange Matters and helps keep this podcast going. Now on to the episode. The first Native American legend that I will be discussing is one that actually persists into the modern day, and that is the Thunderbird. Thunderbirds were originally a lore of a number of native tribes, but the sights and encounters of this mysterious being has continued through the years and has now become one of the more popular cryptids in America. Keeping with the theme of the episode, I will be starting by discussing its origins as a native legend, and then we'll get into its reemergence in the modern world as a cryptozoological wonder. The Thunderbird was a widespread mythological entity that was prominent in the lore of various tribes, particularly among those of the Midwestern Plains and the Northwest Coast. Though there are a number of legendary animals and beasts found in the stories of the native people, the Thunderbird is perhaps the most elusive and legendary among America's mythical creatures. The Thunderbird is often depicted as a giant eagle-like bird being with large wings, immense strength, and sharp claws. The images of Thunderbirds are often seen as both protective and threatening to those who witness it. Different tribes and regions of America have their own version of the Thunderbird, including unique origin stories and different views on its relationship with humans. For the Lakota people, the coming of spring begins the ceremonial season, and a return of the Thunder Beings, also known as the Wakinyan. During this time of year, the weather turns violent with a heavy presence of thunder, lightning, and rain downpours. This return was marked as a time of celebration of life. Animals and birds were migrated back to the area. Buffalo emerged from their winter camps. Hibernating animals woke, and flowers began to bloom. Along with those came a group of powerful beings that had also brought destructive storm forces upon the land. The Wakinian, or thunder beings, returned at the spring to both give the power of life, but also to take it away. Though the presence of animals returning and plant life growth brought prosperity, 
The lands would also see destructive winds, floods, and droughts, and fires caused by lightning strikes. To this tribe, the Thunderbird isn't exactly a mythical giant bird, but a group of non-physical beings that lived in the Black Hills. The Thunderbird itself was said to be just one of the physical forms of the Thunder Beings. Clothed in clouds, the mysterious Thunderbird beings had their own colors which corresponded to the four cardinal points. The Thunderbird of the West is black, the East yellow, red for the North, and white for the South. One description of the Joaquinian is that of giants with massive four-jointed wings. They had enormous claws in place of feet, and a large beak on their head with sharp teeth. The thunder beings were said to govern the weather. Their voice was thunder, and lightning flashes came from their eyes. A rural medicine man named John Fire Lamedeer said about these beings, From time to time a holy man catches a glimpse of a Joaquinian in his dreams, but always only a part of it. No one ever sees the Thunderbird whole, not even in a vision. So the way we think a Thunderbird looks is pieced together from many dreams and visions. John Lamedeer says to the Sioux that the Thunderbirds are described as creatures whose voices are the thunder, and the small rumbles of thunder are the voices of their children. They are a kind of phantom being, with bodies that are not quite solid. There was a time when Thunderbirds, fighting on behalf of human beings, fought with the evil water monsters. The war erupted over the earth for many years until the Thunderbirds won. The Yaqui tribe of Mexico in the southwestern United States tells a different story of the Thunderbird. In their tales, a giant bird lived in the hills of Otumkawi and would fly out each day in search of food. However, if the Thunderbird happened to spot a lone person or a small group, it would snatch them up. This Thunderbird was infamous for carrying away men, women, and children, and taking them back to Otumkawi to then eat. The people were very watchful and fearful of this giant bird that lived on the mountain, as whenever they had fiestas or ceremonial dances, the Thunderbird would sometimes swoop down and take up two to three people at a time. The Aki lived in dense low houses made of mud and wood to protect themselves from random attacks from this giant bird. As one legend goes, there were many years of torment and deaths caused by the Thunderbird of the Otumkawi. One baby boy was brought up by his grandfather, after the Thunderbird had carried off his father, mother, and grandmother during the time he was growing up. Once the boy was old enough to understand what had killed his family, this brave boy promised he would one day bring an end to the creature. One day while practicing with his bow and arrows, the boy saw the Thunderbird. It was a massive bird with giant eyes and feathers of every color. The boy, hiding in a hole, felt confident that he could return and kill this legendary bird. Returning to his village, the boy asked his grandfather to make him a larger, stronger bow. While the grandfather did this, others in his tribe came by to ask if he really planned on going after the Thunderbird. Many thought him foolish, and were skeptical that someone who is not yet a man could take down this fearsome bird. The next day, the boy ventured out to where he had seen the Thunderbird before. Waiting all day, the bird finally returned and perched at the top of a large tree. When night fell, the great Thunderbird fell asleep, and the boy started working on his trap. He dug a hole a short distance from the base of the tree, and put large sticks across the opening for protection. When dawn came, the Thunderbird awoke and spotted the boy working on his hole. As it prepared to swoop down to get the boy, 
He jumped into the hole he prepared and readied his bow. Sure enough, when the Thunderbird landed on the sticks covering the hole, the boy loosed an arrow straight into the bird's giant eye. The injured creature flew back to his nest on top of the tree, but the boy hit it with three more arrows and finally killed the beast. This tale of the Thunderbird continues and serves as an origin story for the Aki, as it is said that after the brave boy killed the Thunderbird, he tore out its multicolored feathers, and each one turned into a different species of bird, such as owls and crows. Then cutting meat from this giant creature, it turned into mountain lions, foxes, raccoons, and coyotes. Returning to his village, the boy was deemed a hero, and the Yaqui could finally celebrate with giant fiestas without fear of the fearsome Thunderbird. The Miami people, who were a tribe settled around the Great Lakes, called the Thunderbird Piazza, or Devourer of Man, and believed the bird required sacrifices or it would attack an entire community. Along with having their own version of the legendary bird, the Miami also had a unique description of the Thunderbird. This Piazza bird, according to an Illini tribe legend, appeared as a scaled bird, with a body that included aspects of both mammals, birds, reptiles, and even fish. Legend tells that the bird constantly threatened the Illini tribe until its chief, Utoga, killed the Thunderbird with poison-tipped arrows. Another version of this tale says the chief stood out in an open field as bait, while 20 of his best warriors lay hidden. When the Piazza swooped down to grab him, his soldiers sprung up and threw spears at the mighty bird, killing it once and for all. A painting of the Piazza bird was made upon a cliff in Alton, Illinois. The painting was destroyed in the 1850s when the face of the cliff collapsed into the river, but fortunately explorers before that time saw the painting and described it in great detail in their journals. These explorers describe a large bird-like creature with many reptilian characteristics. John Russell was a writer from Illinois who had a great interest in the Piazza. In 1848, Russell explored the caves where this creature was said to live. One cave that was extremely difficult to access yielded possible evidence for the Illini story. Russell stated, The shape of the cave was irregular, but so far as I could judge, the bottom would average 20 by 30 feet. The floor of the cave, throughout its whole extent, was one mass of human bones. Whether this mysterious cave really was the home of the bloodthirsty giant bird creature, or perhaps just a burial site of some kind, remains a mystery. Though the Thunderbird was seen as a menace and threat to some tribes, in other tribes it was seen as a helpful or protective force. To the Ojibwe tribe of Lake Superior, the Thunderbirds were seen as a positive energy spirit that attacked monsters. As the legend goes to the Ojibwe, it was said that a Thunderbird fought with Mishapishu, a snake-like monster of the lake. After an epic battle between the two legendary creatures, the Thunderbird was victorious and carried the serpent away in its talons. A loud booming crack of thunder and a burst of lightning marked this glorious event. The Iroquois people saw the Thunderbird as a guardian of fire. This Thunderbird was called Ushidajia, or Dew Eagle. And when the evil fire spirits attacked the earth, the Dew Eagle would fly over the flames, extinguishing the fires created from the dew on its back. After these flames were put out by the giant bird, the earth underneath was made quite fertile again. Though many might believe that the Thunderbird was entirely a myth, or 
created by storytellers and passed from tribe to tribe and down the generations. There have been some who have tried to come up with explanations for the existence of this giant bird. It is widely believed, however, that if the creature was in fact real, its features were certainly embellished and exaggerated over time, as different people put their own spin on the story. As it turns out, the description of the Thunderbird across multiple tribes resembles that of an ancient bird, the pterosaur. In the book Dinosaurs and Other Prehistoric Animals, a connection is made between the legend and the supposed extinct animal, saying, The Thunderbird appears in many Indian tales and Indian artwork. Its description is very much like one of the prehistoric flying reptiles that flapped its way through the skies in the day of the dinosaurs. A story from the Sioux describes an encounter with bones that closely resemble the long-lost species. This tale goes, A party of Sioux Indian warriors were out hunting. They had left their village far behind. Before they realized it, the group of braves found themselves alone in the bare and rocky badlands of the west. Suddenly the sky darkened. There was a clap of thunder that shook the earth. Looking up in terror, they saw the shape of a giant bird falling to earth. The band of hunters traveled over the Badlands for days, until they came at last to the spot where they thought the giant bird had fallen. Nothing was left of the terrible creature but its bones. They shuddered as they looked at the monster's skeleton. The bird had fallen so hard, they thought, that its bones were partly sunk into the rock. But the braves could see that its wings spread was as big as four tall men standing on top of one another. The strange creature had fierce claws on its wings, as well as on its feet, and the beak was long and sharp. There was a long, bony crest on its head. They had never seen a bird like this before. The description in this story almost perfectly fits the description of the Pteranodon. There's also other evidence of a possible coexistence with pterosaurs, among the tribes of Mexico and South America as well. Jose Diaz Bolio, a Mexican archaeologist, discovered an ancient Mayan relief sculpture in Veracruz, Mexico, of a bird with the exact same features of the pteranodon. The serpent bird, says Bolio, is not merely the product of Mayan flights of fancy, but a realistic representation of an animal that lived during the period of the ancient Mayans, one to five thousand years ago. There is still more evidence to this theory. The Ica stones of Peru were discovered in the first half of the 20th century as a result of the overflowing of the Ica River. This flood caused the eroding of a mountainside, which in turn exposed several openings in the mountain. One of these openings turned out to be a cave, and in this cave, there was found to be a huge collection of stones. There were a total of over 16,000 stones found. These stone artifacts from South America depict what closely resemble to be dinosaurs and flying reptiles of all types and sizes. These stones could demonstrate that some of the native people of America were in fact in contact with giant bird-like creatures that could possibly be the pterosaur. So the question is whether all these stories are just a coincidence, or if some small number of the species somehow survived and made its home in America. The Thunderbird certainly wouldn't be the only legendary creature that is thought to be a remnant of the past, an isolated group of animals that have somehow survived past the extinction of the rest of their kind. Another example of this could be the Loch Ness Monster, which some believe to be the last of its kind of an ancient species. While some of the stories of the Thunderbird, as well as some paintings and descriptions of it, 
do closely resemble that of a real extinct species. There is no real physical link that could prove such a thing. While the fact that Tales of Thunderbirds existed across a wide number of tribes spreading across the country could suggest that such a creature was real, it does also have to be noted that the description and characteristics of the Thunderbird also varies drastically between the tribes. If such creatures existed, to me I would think that there would be more uniformity in the stories, but it would seem that's not the case. For now, it would seem that the Thunderbird of the Native American legend is merely a myth, but there is always the slim possibility that these tales were inspired by some type of rare, real-life creature. As I mentioned before, the Thunderbird is a legend that actually still exists in the modern world, though it also has evolved and changed through the years. Rather than being a near supernatural being with the power to create lightning and storms, the modern version of Thunderbird is more characterized as just being an impossibly large bird. This modern-day creature can be described as a cryptid, a creature whose exact existence has yet to be proven by science. In the last several decades, there have been numerous sightings and encounters with huge mysterious birds across America. These creatures have received the name of Thunderbirds, though it would seem that there isn't much to link them back to the legends of the native people, besides its name and size. However, if these birds do exist today, perhaps it could be that they are the very same species that were seen hundreds of years ago, and that the more supernatural elements of the Thunderbird were the only thing embellished by the native people. While there is no real physical evidence of Thunderbirds in America currently, as with other cryptids, there are a number of photographs, videos, and most interestingly of all, actual encounters with these unknown creatures that all combine to create a new legend. One of the most well-known stories of the Thunderbird happened on July 25, 1977. Ten-year-old Marlon Lowe was playing hide-and-seek with his friends outside, when suddenly a huge bird swooped down from the sky and grabbed him by his shirt. The large bird then attempted to carry the boy away, flapping its giant wings and succeeded in lifting Marlin several feet off the ground into the air. At this point, Marlin shouted for his mother while struggling to free himself, as the bird managed to carry him for around 40 feet before finally dropping the boy and flying off. Marlin's friends and parents rushed to his side, shocked at what had just happened. At the time, Marlin weighed around 60 pounds. It would seem a near-impossible task for any of the known large birds of the region to even lift the boy at all, let alone carry him for a short period of time. There were six witnesses in total to this event. Besides Marlin, of course, there were his parents, Ruth and Jake Lowe, who came out of the house alarmed when they heard their son's screams. There were also two of their friends, Betty and Jim Davis, who also saw the event in the distance. Finally, one of Marlin's friends, Michael, was also present and he actually said that he dove to the ground to narrowly miss the giant bird on its first swoop down. The incident was reported to the local police, as well as the Illinois Department of Conservation in nearby Springfield. However, the authorities did not take Mrs. Lowe's report seriously, and had doubts that anything close to the event could have actually happened. Deciding to take matters into her own hands, Marlin's mother Ruth decided to do some research and find out what type of bird attacked her son. At first, the family believed that the bird was a turkey vulture, but after Ruth did some reading at the library, she found that the bird that closest matched the one that attacked her son 
which was said to be a large black bird with a white ring at the base of its neck, was that of the California condor. The condor is the largest American land bird, with a wingspan of almost 10 feet and weighing upwards of 30 pounds. Still, even with its significant size, a typical condor would have immense trouble lifting and carrying a struggling six-pound child, if that was even possible at all. Also, adding in the fact that condors are scavengers and consume dead animal carcasses that would have no reason to actually attack anything living like a human, and that answer doesn't seem to make much sense. To me, I see it two different ways. If the story is true, as exactly as it's told, then I think there has to be some different type of large bird, something with the predatory nature of a hawk or eagle, but with the massive size of something like a condor. Maybe the bird who tried to carry Marlin off was a freak of nature of its kind, so to say, larger and more aggressive than the rest of its species. On the other hand, perhaps it was just a typical California condor, and the story itself is the thing exaggerated. Maybe instead of lifting Marlin off the ground and carrying him across the yard, it simply swooped down and momentarily grabbed a hold of his shirt, which made Marlin run and jump around, and to the onlookers from a distance, it appeared as if the bird was actually carrying the child. In either case, though this encounter is often brought up when talking about the legend of the cryptid Thunderbird of America, there is little to go on besides a few witness accounts during a frantic few moments of panic. There was another sighting of a massive unknown bird in America, this time in 2002. In October of that year, in the Alaskan villages of Tojiak and Minakotok, Multiple residents spotted a large bird that was described as being the size of a small airplane. When comparing it to other large birds of the area, the witnesses believe that its wingspan could be as large as 14 feet. Scientists remain skeptical of this, of course, as, as that would place it larger than the wandering albatross, which currently has the world record wingspan at 12 feet. Raptor specialist Phil Schempf said, I'm certainly not aware of anything with a 14-foot wingspan that's been alive for the last 100,000 years. A pilot who was in the air at the time that this bird flew over the village saw it from a distance of just 1,000 feet away while flying in his airplane. This pilot, John Boker, said, The people in the plane saw him. He's huge, huge. He's really, really big. You wouldn't want to have your children out. In this encounter, there are no other explanations given other than another case of mistaken identity, though the witnesses are adamant to what they saw. The largest bird in Alaska would be the black-footed albatross, though the witness accounts claim that the bird that they saw was twice the size of the known albatross. Again, unfortunately, there was no evidence of this event beyond a few people who saw this large bird from both the ground and the sky and there is no way of knowing whether it's just a trick of the eye, or if these people really did witness a massive bird of unknown identity. For both the Thunderbird legend of the Native Americans and its modern-day counterpart, there are a number of explanations. Some cryptozoologists have theorized that the simplest explanation for the ancient Thunderbird myth is that they were based on sightings of real animals, but their large size was either mistaken or exaggerated. As for why the Thunderbirds got their name in the first place, as many iterations of the bird among the different tribes associate the bird with storms and lightning, cryptozoologists suggest that the Thunderbird was linked with such storms because they followed the windy drafts to stay in flight. 
This is similar to some known large birds today, such as eagles, which will use wind currents around mountains and in storms to fly without using much energy. When a number of modern Thunderbirds' supposed sightings were mapped, they were found that they corresponded chronologically and geographically with storms moving across the United States. In that way, it would make sense. If people today are mistaking large birds like eagles flying during storms and vastly overemphasizing the size, then it's easy to see people doing the same thing centuries ago. There's also the fact that there are no bones or bodies of such huge birds found that would suggest thunderbirds are not actually their own species. Angelo P. Caparello, an ornithologist at Illinois State University, argues that the existence of such undiscovered large birds is highly unlikely, especially in North America. The main reasoning is that there is not enough food in areas where these abnormally large birds are reported to actually sustain such creatures. Also, Caparella explains further that all accounts of Thunderbird cryptids over the past few decades have been made by the average person, as there is a complete lack of sightings by the legions of competent bird watchers scanning the skies of the United States and Canada. Caparella concludes by believing that if there were breeding populations of large unknown birds, it would be impossible for them to remain unknown for very long. Also, while there have been a number of videos and photographs of supposed Thunderbird sightings, nearly all of them have been debunked by experts as just being another known species of birds that were mistaken for something else. So in conclusion, though both the old tales of the Thunderbird of the native people and the mysterious Thunderbird of today are fascinating to think about, it would appear as if the idea of any supernatural giant birds flying over the American skies solely exists as part of the people's folklore and myth. Moving on now from the Thunderbird, another legend of Native American mythology is that of the Little People. Tales of these people are told across multiple tribes and societies, including the Sioux, Cheyenne, Crow, Iroquois, and even those of Hawaii and the Aztecs. Depending on the tribe and particular legends, these little people differ both in terms of size and their behavior. In some cases, the little people are under two feet tall, while others they are slightly larger at around three feet. Some tribes describe the little people as mischievous troublemakers, while for others, they are vicious and cannibalistic killers who were quite feared. Though the legends of the little people sound familiar to some other myths such as fairies and leprechauns, these tales were well known across many tribes far before Europeans would settle in America, making it an interesting tale of similarities across different continents and cultures. To the Iroquois tribe, the little people were known as Joga. The Joga were mainly viewed as tricksters and a mischievous group of secretive people. In many tales, the Joga were invisible to the majority of people, typically only revealing themselves or allowed to be seen by young children, whom the Joga were fond of. While most of the time the Joga popped up in stories, it was playing relatively harmless tricks on people. In some cases, they stepped it up and saved young children from danger, such as from abusive parents or animal attacks. However, for the most part, when the Joga interacted with the Iroquois, it was to play games and pranks. One of their favorites being playing musical instruments in the distance when people were traveling through the woods. When people went off to search for the source of the music, the Joga would simply hide, 
their small stature making it easy for them to go unseen. When the searchers gave up and continued on their ways, the Joga would just start playing right back up again with their music, creating an infuriating game of cat and mouse between the musical pranksters and those trying to find them. The Joga would also often play pranks in tribe camps at night, such as making loud noises when people were trying to sleep, tying drying clothes together, and braiding horses' manes. Though these pranks are more aggravating than harmful, if the Joga felt disrespected, they could occasionally turn violent and attack someone. To appease these little pranksters, it is said the Iroquois would leave small gifts or offerings at times outside their camps, such as food or tobacco, to ensure that the Joga stayed happy and would not cause too much chaos in the night. While the Joga may have been simple tricksters, in other tribal cultures, the legends of the little people have a much darker history. To the Shoshone tribes of the Rocky Mountains, there are legends of the Nimurigur. The Nimurigur were a group of violent and troublesome little people, said to be around two feet tall. They were feared in stories, as they would attack people with miniature bow and arrows that were tipped with poison, causing painful deaths to anyone who had the misfortune of walking into an ambush. They were also quite ruthless with their own kind, as any member of their own tribes who became too sick, injured, or old to contribute as an active part of society would be clubbed to death. Though many today would simply write off the stories of the different little people as simple myth, there have been a few discoveries and reports that may suggest that some groups of these people actually existed. A religious missionary named Zeisberger was working with tribes in the state of Ohio in the late 1770s. Zeisberger would write of a fascinating discovery that he and his associates came across, burial grounds of what looked like to be people who had the characteristics of adults, but who all happened to be around three feet tall. There was more written about this burial site from the excavations, stating that whoever these people were, they had such tools such as stone axes, well-constructed pottery, and farming equipment. There was another take on this burial ground, though, that could provide a counter-theory. A similar cemetery in the area was researched in the early 1800s. At this time, the burial site was determined to be that of a bone burial, meaning the bones were not buried until after the decomposition of the body. In this way, it has been suggested that the graves measure only around 3 feet, it is not so much because that was the height of the previously living person, but because these dismembered bones were packed and flexed closely together into these burial sites. Those unfamiliar with what they are actually looking at, perhaps someone like a missionary as Zeisberger, would confuse the arrangement of bones into thinking that they actually belong to three-foot-tall people. Another researcher provided an additional theory, stating that the pygmy or little people graves of the area were actually merely children, who for some reasons not readily explained were buried apart from the adult people of their tribe. Thus these large burial grounds, of what seemed to be hundreds or thousands of so-called little people, were just burial sites dedicated only to children. Unfortunately, no modern investigations can be performed, as this entire area has long since been changed and disturbed due to both farming and centuries of inhabitation and construction. Beyond a few short reports, there is little more information to go on, and who exactly this group of people were and what their exact physical characteristics are will likely never be known for sure. 
Another discovery came about in 1932, when a tiny figure known as the San Pedro Mountains Mummy was found. Two men named Cecil Maine and Frank Carr were gold miners who were working in an area of southwest Wyoming. After using dynamite to blast open a chunk of mountainside, the pair found that they had uncovered what looked to be an entrance to a cave. Deciding to explore, the two men ventured in and found themselves in a cavern, which had previously been entirely shut off from the world. On a ledge within this cave was a tiny figure, and as they investigated, they found out it appeared to be mummified remains. While unusual, it was made even stranger by the fact that this mummy was only 14 inches tall. The skin of the mummy was very wrinkled and had an odd-shaped skull, with a low forehead and a flat top of the skull. Believing they had made a great discovery, Cecil and Frank carefully transported the mummy back to Casper, Wyoming. In no time, news of this one-foot-tall mummy spread, and multiple scientists and journalists traveled to the area to find out if this little mummy was an actual person or merely a hoax created by the men for some attention and fame. Debates were started from those who came to see it, whether this mummy was just a prank, or that of a baby, or actually one of the legendary little people. As it turned out, when the mummy was x-rayed, it revealed a full man-like skeleton, proving that this was in fact once a real living person. The testing also shows that this person had been killed by a heavy blow which smashed the spine and skull. An early report by a scientist who had looked over the data concluded this tiny mummy had been an elder, someone who had lived at least 60 years. The bizarre fact that the mummified remains of what appeared to be a 14-inch tall adult made for quite a story, and no doubt gave more credency to the legends of the little people of the area at the time. However, eventually the story of the San Pedro mummy would change and disprove the earlier statements of these remains belonging to a fully formed, but very small, adult. Other scientists concluded and agreed that the small remains were not that of an elder, but instead that of an infant. It became clear that the San Pedro mummy was a child who had been born with anencephaly. This disorder causes the main portion of the brain and skull to be absent during embryonic development. This disorder is fatal, and babies born with it survive no more than a few days. It would then seem that the mummy found was indeed an anencephalic infant, and was likely killed with a single heavy blow to ensure no long-term suffering. The mummification and burial could suggest that perhaps this infant could have been born to a prominent or high-ranking family. Years later, a second similar mummy was found, and this too was examined and said to be an anencephalic infant as well, being dated back to around the year 1700. Though the remains of these two mummies are known and verified, more tales and urban legends of additional discoveries exist as well. When discussing the modern take on the existence of the Little People, there are stories of other burial sites and mummies being found. These remains were then sent to the universities or the Smithsonian for analysis. However, both the mummies and the research behind them have disappeared over the years, suggesting that perhaps some type of cover-up operation was started to erase any proof of the Little People from the world. Why exactly any agency would actively work to keep the existence of these mythological people from the public is unknown, of course, 
but it does add to the mystique of this legend and adds a bit of a modern twist to it. So it would appear from modern research and medical examinations of the burial sites and mummies found, the two leading pieces of evidence which could possibly point to the true existence of little people, that the whole thing is likely just a legend. Though there is one last theory that provides another idea, one that could suggest the origins of the little people legend, and show that the myth was not created simply out of imagination, but one of exaggeration. A few historians, such as Joseph Medicine Crow of the Crow tribe, have researched this legend and collected decades worth of accounts. A new theory was created that proposes certain legends of the little people were created from confusions dealing with certain tribes, tribes of men and women of medium or below average height. These tribes consisted of short-statured mountain folk who generally kept themselves isolated from the rest of the world. So it could be that over time and generations, the stories of encounters with these mountain people, who may have just been a few inches shorter than the average height of neighboring people, slowly morphed into tales of three-foot troublemakers who came down from the mountainside to play pranks or attack surrounding tribes. I think this is a pretty interesting theory, and it certainly wouldn't be the first time that an old legend or myth was formed after a few centuries worth of exaggerations and misrepresentations. It doesn't seem too far-fetched to me to think of one tribe telling an experience of fighting another group of shorter people, only for that same story to be told a few generations later, and each time it's told becoming more and more exaggerated, until it gets turned into the story and legend of the little people that we know of it today. Another interesting legend coming from the Inuit tribe is the Kilut. This mythological creature is definitely a bit creepier than the mighty Thunderbird or the mischievous little people. The Kilut was said to be a dog of the underworld, which on occasion would rise and find its way to walk upon the land of the earth. The Kilut itself was something like a demonic spirit, which took the form of a dog. This was no ordinary dog, however as the Kilat was a terrifying-looking beast, completely hairless except for around its paws. The reason behind this being to better hide its tracks. As the legend goes, if you happen to be following a trail of dog tracks, which suddenly disappeared, more than likely the dreaded Kilat was nearby. The Kilat would stalk its prey at night, choosing to hunt isolated people or dogs. Many who saw the Kilat approach would be helpless, only the bravest could escape from the paralyzing fear that this evil spirit created. Being an evil spirit, even just the presence of a Kilut nearby was seen as a harbinger of death. Many who had the unfortunate circumstances of coming across a Kilut and managing to walk away unharmed would be expected to suffer a fatal accident in the near future. Though the Kilut was a scary creature, it was also easily scared itself, while the mere sight of it would frighten anyone unfortunate to cross tracks with the evil beast, it was said by standing your ground and shouting the creature's name, it would instantly run away. This was easier said than done, however, as most who saw the Kilat would suffer fits from the terror of being so close to such an evil creature. The Inuit were an indigenous people of Alaska and Canada, and were well familiar with dangerous wildlife, such as wolves, feral dogs, foxes, and coyote. However, none of them were as deadly or terrifying as the Kilat, and the evil dog spirit can be found in many tales and legends of the people, usually being the last thing seen by whatever unfortunate soul it happened to be hunting. 
The fourth and final Native American legend I will be discussing is by far the darkest of the bunch, and that is the Baycock. The story of the Baycock originates from Ojibwa folklore. The word Baycock is sometimes mistranslated to just mean skeleton, but more accurately it means skeletal decomposed remains or skin-draped bones. The Baycock was depicted as an undead creature which wandered the woods at night, compelled by hunger. It was a fearsome being, yielding a deadly club and invisible spirit arrows to kill those it was hunting. Some were described as having red glowing eyes, but they also had the ability to turn invisible. The Baycock had a terrifying and piercing screech, which was often used to paralyze someone in their tracks. According to the Ojibwa, the Baycock was once a proud warrior of the tribe. During a long and difficult hunt, the hunter lost track of its prey. Now lost, the hunter wandered around the woods, quickly deteriorating from hunger and cold. Being extremely proud, this hunter grew hateful of his situation, how such a skilled and respected man as himself would be doomed to die alone and hungry, all because it was his duty to be the one to go out looking for food. Collapsing to the snowy ground, the hunter wished with his dying breaths that his spirit would never leave his body. Some time later, another group of hunters were walking through the same woods when they came across the remains of the once great hunter. Roused from his deathly slumber, the spirit of the dead hunter returned to life. His decomposed body rose from the ground and attacked the trespassing hunters. Taking revenge on these men who were fortunate enough to not have suffered the same fate, the former hunter, now a baycock, tore into the men and quickly devoured the remains, finally satisfying his hunger. From that time on, the baycock roamed the woods at night, targeting those who traveled alone. Due to his twisted logic, the Baycock would only attack hunters and warriors, perhaps feeling jealous that they were still alive while he had failed at his former task. The Baycock was a feared being, as it would often choose to incapacitate his victims and so to straight up killing them, and would end his attack by devouring the liver of its helpless victim while they lay paralyzed. There were other variations of this tale of how other Baycocks were formed. Some of these vile undead creatures were created from former warriors who died in shame after committing unforgivable acts such as rape, incest, or infanticide. Just as with the original Baycock, the spirits of these disgraced men reanimated with the appearance of skeletal beings who would seek out and attack their living warrior brothers at night. Fortunately, though these beings could not be defeated in combat, there is a way to kill them once and for all. One of the reasons the Baycock persisted was that they were unable to rest because their bones were scattered or thrown into lakes by those they have wronged. This prevented them from moving on to the afterlife. It was said that if the original remains of the Baycock could be found and be given a proper and respectful burial, the spirits would then vanish from their new forms and finally leave the realm of the living. The Baycock is certainly a terrifying and creepy legend of the Ojibwa people, and it stood out to me personally as it has some similarities with Zombies, one of my favorite legendary and fictional beings. Though both are scary, I think I have to give the edge to the Baycock, as the thought of a spirit which once belonged to a formerly disgraced and sadistic warrior, which is now trapped in a skeletal body, hunting for livers to eat at night, sounds a bit more intimidating than the classical, brainless, shambling zombies. 
With that said, the Baycock is certainly one of the most interesting and frightening legends of the Native American people. And with that, I will wrap up this episode of the Strange Matters podcast. If you have your own thoughts on the Thunderbird, the Little People, Keelut, or the Baycock, and would like to reach out, you can write to the podcast at our email at strangematterspodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to suggest ideas for future episodes, you can send those in as well. We can also be reached through our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Finally, we ask if you are listening to us on iTunes, please take the time to leave a rating and review, as it helps us getting feedback, and it also helps promote the podcast so we can reach new listeners. So until the next episode of the Strange Matters podcast, take care, everybody.